Well, we are thrilled to have Jeff Grinnell with us. Um, Lisa and I have known Jeff. Um, we were involved in Jeff's youth ministry when we were engaged to be married. And then after we were married, we were involved in Jeff's youth ministry in Grand Rapids and uh, have known Jeff and uh, his wonderful wife, uh, Jane, uh, for about 30 years. And uh, what an amazing story you're going to hear today. I guarantee that nobody is going to leave here the same. It's just an honor to have Jeff. And so, Jeff, wherever you are, let's give a warm, restored church welcome to Jeff Grinnell. It all began in the fall of 1981. See, some people never find what I found. Walking onto my college campus on the first weekend of school, I saw her. I was with an older student in my dorm room, looking out my window, when I looked down and said to him, I'm going to marry that girl. He looked down at the girl walking at the middle of campus, realized who it was, and then he turned to me and he said, no, you're not. You don't have a chance. See, Jane was the most spiritual girl on campus. I wasn't. The following week, I found out that Jane would be on my sister floor, and we would be seeing a lot of each other. As a matter of fact, she went to my first football game with her sister floor and fell in love with what she called my chicken legs. On the second weekend of school, I walked into the cafeteria, and I saw her sitting at a table with her sophomore friends. Walking through the line, I kept my eye on her to make sure that she didn't leave before I was seated at her table. And that's when my personality kicked in. Noticing that she had a couple of seats left at her table, my friend and I sat down with these strangers. And this is when my personality kicked into high gear. Looking at Jane in front of all of her friends, I sat down next to her and introduced myself. I said, hi, I'm Jeff. What is your name? Well, I already knew her name, but I couldn't play that card, right? She looked up from her meal quickly, looked me in the eye and promptly said, Jane, and then looked down at her meal and continued to eat. In that moment, I knew I had a chance. My reply was confident. Great to meet you, Jane. Do you know that you are the second girl I've met in college and two is my lucky number? <laughs> I told you it was my personality, okay? My mother is here this morning and she'll tell you that's exactly what I said. Needless to say, the whole table was in disbelief. I still don't believe I said that, but I couldn't back down now. The chances of that working were pretty low. But in that conversation at our first lunch <clears throat> date, I did find out where Jane went to church, and I felt called to that church the next week. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I made my way into that church that morning, Calvary Temple in Springfield, Missouri, and sat right in front of her and her friends and worshiped like I've never worshiped before. <laughs> We danced, we dated for the next 34 years. 
31 of those years, we were married. We had three children and a grandchild, been in youth ministry for, for 31 years together. We built a youth ministry from the ground up. We pastored hundreds of students in a mega church. We planted a very young youth church. We traveled the country doing youth ministry. And that is where it all ended. You see, some people never find what I lost. December 18, 2015, Jane passed away after battling cancer for the previous 16 months. It rocked our Western mindset that viewed our marriage as near perfect and our family as untouchable. We really had only known harmony as a couple and satisfaction with our kids and fulfillment in our work. But this is where I learned firsthand about my broken palace. See, in America, we feel like we don't deserve suffering. I, I realized for the first time after losing Jane, I would not have my best friend to go on dates with that we made public on social media. At my son, my last son's wedding, she would never hold our grandkids to come again. I would never kiss her. All of these memories have faded into his presence. I can't tell you why it's all changed, but it has for the good. And some of you will wrestle with that statement. Listen, I still cry myself to sleep at night. I miss my best friend. But hear me. Sometimes a story doesn't always end with an enchanted kiss. It simply ends with great memories of an incredible relationship. And you have to be okay with that. As a matter of fact, I'm not the poster child for suffering. Understand? I am not the poster child for suffering. That would be a slap in the face of missionaries in third world countries who've lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. That would be a slap in the face of pastors and preachers who are in prison today for the sake of the gospel. Remember, I had 34 years with the greatest person I've ever known. My daughter, who's 26, is due in the next 24 hours with her first child. Do you understand the kind of pain that, that you go through as a, as a father? Some of you in the room understand. Knowing that I will be in uh, Jersey tomorrow holding my grandson that Jane will never get to hold. She'll never see him grow up and run around and play. But hear me, I'm not the only one who's hurting in the room. Right? Every one of us in this room have issues. I got issues. <laughs> Young people, you know what I'm talking about. 
And one of them, anyway. Every one of us in this room have issues, and that's okay. Hear me. In the book of Job, we have one of the most powerful stories on suffering ever told. See, God does his greatest work in the midst of our greatest need. God is not intimidated by darkness. God is not intimidated by suffering. He's not intimidated by hardship. God is not intimidated by your circumstances. He shines in darkness. And darkness cannot comprehend it. Right? Hear me. I'm not here to minimize your problem this morning. And some of you are going to think that way. Some of you are going to think, this guy doesn't care about what I'm going. Hear me. Hear me. I care more about who you're going through it with than what you're going through. Listen, if Job can make it, and I can make it, you can make it. Did you catch it in the song that we sang? Listen, you, you got to leave the past behind. Or as, as Pumbaa said, you got to sometimes leave your behind in the past. <laughs> Some of us get that mixed, mixed up a little bit. In the book of Job, we have this classic story. Classic story. I want to read to you just the beginning because we don't have time to pull the whole story together. But you've heard this, I'm sure, uh, of, of the man Job. And, and if you're a guest this morning and this is new to you, I'm just going to read the parts that will get us in, into the rest, rest of the story here. We're just going to read the beginning of his life and the end of his life this morning. In Job chapter 1, Old Testament, right halfway through the Old Testament, it says this. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. And he was one who feared God and turned away from evil. And he had ten children that were born to him. And possessions, and they list his possessions. He was the greatest man in the east. Do we forget that about Job? Sometimes we think, oh, the sorrow of Job, and, and we think, oh, my, right, the patience of Job. We forget this man had it all, much like Americans today. You understand that? You're blessed. You are blessed this morning. And, and, I, and, and I get it. Maybe you don't have a job, and maybe you're struggling to pay the bills, or, or maybe you just left the hospital this morning and you've left a loved one there to come to church. You're going to go back this afternoon. I, I get this. Maybe your kids haven't been in church and they've run away and they're addicted to drugs. I understand all of those problems, okay? Been there. But hear me, I'm not here to minimize your problem. I'm here to maximize your God. Because the problem that we have is that we think that we're the greatest of the East. Actually, the West. We live in what people call the West. And we think that we're the untouchables, well, not those untouchables, but the untouchables. And we think that it shouldn't happen to us, not in the U.S. and not in my palace. But see, we have to understand that God sees pain and suffering different than we do. And that's the problem. <laughs> Would you agree? 
Because God is playing chess while we play checkers. And we're taking one move and we do this and we're like, I don't understand that. How could you? God, why? You ever said that this morning? <laughs> and, God's, and God's saying, I've got this. I don't play checkers. I'm a move or two ahead. I've got other pieces that do different kinds of things. You just have to trust me. Listen, it's not a sovereignty problem, it's a trust problem. God can handle your situation. Let me try this side. Are you bummed from my story? Listen, don't bum for me. Listen, God can handle any situation. My wife would slap me when I get to heaven if I bum the next 30 years if the Lord tarries. She would. Those of you that know her know that. If we, if we act like the Western American mindset that we have, we're going to miss God's greatest work through hardship. Job, here's the rest of this. So the setup, right? He, he was the greatest of the East. And then there came this meeting in heaven in verse 6. And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And, so, and, and Satan showed up. And the Lord said to Satan, what are you doing here? And Satan said, I've been walking the earth looking for someone, going back and forth on it. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? Don't you, don't, don't you, don't you wish if, if you were Job that God wouldn't have said that? <laughs> right? It's like, if I'm Job, I'm like, no, 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 T time out. Back it up. Can we take that part out? It's like God, God wants to show off his faithfulness in you. God doesn't have to show off his faithfulness. He's already done that. Read the scriptures. God wants to show off his faithfulness in you. That's a whole nother story. Because God knows best how to glorify himself in your life. He knows way more than you do how to get his his glory out of your story. Can I, can I say that again, Pastor? It will make the service a little longer, but God knows best how to get his glory out of your story. How to get his message out of your mess. God knows how to make your, your hardship history. God knows how to take your chaos and put it on his canvas and create his greatest work. And so Satan is unleashed upon Job. Actually, Satan and God, if you read the story. I know theologically you're not going to like that, okay? Because we read our story, we read the Bible differently in, the, in America. We read the parts we like. But if you go to Job 2, literally it said that God said to, to Satan, what I've unleashed upon him has a limit. My limit, not your limit, right? And then God said to him, you can do whatever you would like with him except to take his soul. 
And hear me, the same restrictions that were given to Satan upon Job are the same restrictions that are given to Satan on your life. I love that. It's in there. The same restrictions that were given to Satan on Job's life in Job chapter 1 and 2 are the same restrictions that you and I enjoy in our life. He can only go so far. It's like he's the Kemby Matumbo. Those of you who were raised, you know, 20 years ago. In the NBA, one of the greatest shot blockers ever. They would drive to the rim and they would put the ball up and he would block it. He would say, let the devil know not today. Hello. Another pop cultural reference maybe. See, in Job, you have to understand limitations, not frustrations. There were limits on what Satan could do in his life. And you know what happens. The story goes that one came into Job, into, into his home and said, while he was eating and drinking, you know, the, 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 the house fell apart and the kids are gone. And another one came in and, and, and said, the oxen were plowing and, and the donkeys were feeding and the Sabians came and raided them and killed all of, all of your cattle is gone. While he was speaking, the fire of the Lord fell on heaven and burned up the, the sheep and the, right? You ever had a bad day? <laughs> Everything's gone. Everything's gone. And in, in verse 20, this is what it says. And Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and complained. Right? Is that what it says? No. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> let, me, let me back up. Verse 20 again. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and blamed everybody else. Right? No? Oh, my bad. My bad. Let me get this right. Verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, at this news, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and then isolated himself from everyone else. No. Oh, I'm sorry. I was reading from the American Bible. <laughs> Let me read it. Don't say preach it because we ain't got the time, but I'm about to. I hear, anytime a preacher hears that, it's like, hmm, but can't. This ain't camp. Verse 20, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and what did he do? He worshiped. The key to the rest of the book. And in all this, Job did not charge God with this wrong. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord now has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Listen to me. Don't cry for Job, and don't cry for me. I had 34 years with the greatest person I've ever known. Some of you will never get to meet a Jane. 
So why would I poison the rest of my life until the Lord returns by wondering and questioning? That makes no sense to me. That's not why I met her. That's not why we dated. That's not why we had kids. That's not why we preached most of our lives together. Do you understand? That's not why we did this. We did this because we believe this. Paul had something to say about suffering too. New Testament, Paul. Was Saul who tried to destroy the church? Had this experience with God revolutionize his life? And, and like most of us, we think, well, when God comes into my life, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> sure. Go ahead. Listen, one of the greatest moments in all of the New Testament is this word from Paul. From Paul. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Limits. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Limits. I'm not telling you you're not going to be pressed. I'm not telling you you're not going to be uh, what he would call perplexed, uh, in some words, depressed. Persecuted, but not forsaken. A teenager said to me uh, about two months ago in February, I'm speaking at this school, and a teacher, teenager came to me and said, she's a Christian, and she said, I'm persecuted in school, what do I do? I said, sweetheart, you're not persecuted. I love them, okay. And she was like, <laughs> she didn't do that. I just said to her, sweetheart, you're not persecuted. You live in America. You, no, they called me. They called you a name. They called you a name. That's your persecution? I love you. And you have to love me if you're going to heaven, okay? But I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm, I'm not your pastor. I'm your pastor. I get to leave. Okay? He's got to clean the mess up this week. And I know it's difficult. Listen, you're kicking against what I'm saying already this morning. You don't know the road. Be careful of who you say that to. This is your problem. Your hand. Take your hand and put it out in front of you. Will you do that? Welcome to Children's Church. <laughs> That's your problem. That's your hardship. It's your suffering. It's your issue. When that issue is held out here, it doesn't interfere with your life. You can run an obstacle course. You can drive your car. It doesn't get in the way, does it? But when we take that problem, do it with me, and put it right, sir, come on, do it.
and we put it right in front of our face. We can see the ceiling in the lights. We can see the floor or our lap. That's it. That would be dangerous. But that's what we do, isn't it? Because hear me, some of you don't want healing from your problem or your issue because it's what you get attention for. No, 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 no. I know that. I work with young people, okay? But adults are no different. We hang on to our issue because it's our identity. I don't walk up to people today. I did for a while, but I don't walk up to people today and say, hey, my wife passed away. People ask about my life and I tell them about my kids and if it comes or they don't notice a ring, or, right, that I'll go there. But I, here, listen to me. That's not my identity. I've only been speaking on this, I told pastor, a few months anyway. The book just came out late, late uh, last year, end of November. And so I'm not dwelling on this. There's, there's a time to move on. Listen, all of us, all of us, there's a time to mourn and a time to dance. Paul, he goes on, he finishes this. Wow, listen. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down. Down. You ever been down? Anybody ever fallen, right? Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. That life may be manifested. Listen, that life may be manifested in me. If Job had Twitter today, what would he say? That's the name of the book. If Job had Twitter, what would he tell you? Two simple things, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm closing. Pastor didn't tell me when I was supposed to be done, so I'll, I'll hurry. No, no, no. Yeah, all you that said you're good don't have kids. <laughs> because over the, anyway. Number one, Job would say, do not do hardship alone. Do not do hardship alone. You know Job had friends, right? And if you read on in chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, it starts to tell the story. Job is outside the city, and he's going through his grief. Job went into great grief. He's seated there, and his friends show up. He sees them walking in. And do you know what happens? They sit with him for an hour and don't say a thing. They're just there, you know, listening. And then by the end of that first day, like, you know, 12 hours later, his friends said nothing. You can read it. It's really powerful. They came and they sat there for a week. And his friends didn't say anything for a week. Awkward. At the end of the sixth day, the, the last day of the week, his friends said nothing. And... I don't know about you, but day one, cool. <laughs> day two, three, four, this is day five, right? It's Friday, six, it's all, and now all of it, what do you do if you're Job? Do you be like, I'm hurting. <laughs> Hello. They didn't say a word, but then all of a sudden in the next few chapters, they open their mouth <laughs> and they add to the story. Some good things, some bad things. How many know sometimes the silence of our friends is, is the best thing. All of you have had great friends until they open their mouth. <laughs> you just got to let people love you their way. Sometimes they don't understand it. They don't, they don't know. But he, 
He didn't go through this alone. Paul was the same way. Paul's going through all of this, and every city he would go to, this is a, re a remarkable study, every city he would go to, he would go to the leaders of that town. And he would, and the Bible would say, I think it says six times in his epistles, that he would go into those, to the leaders, the apostles, right, the disciples, and he would sit with them and study the word for two, three days, for two years in one setting. Because he was doing life together with people. It is always much harder on your own. You know the math? One horse can pull 7,000 pounds. Look at the study. Six to 7,000. One workhorse is going to pull that. Two horses do not pull double or 12 or 14,000 pounds. Two horses, because of synergy, can pull close to 20,000 pounds. It's the law of friendship. Hear me. I can handle anything with friends like that. I can handle anything with friends like that. And so can you. The reason why you're inundated with debt and pressure and job loss and family problems and relationship issues and health issues and government problems is because you're doing it alone. A friend won't let you do it alone. The second thing Job would say, if he had a Twitter account today to millennials, will you stand, please? The second thing that he would say is really simple. Do not merely look at the pain in your situation. Look at the presence. I have an artist friend. His name is Eric Samuel Tim. He's a painter. And I'd heard about Eric for years, but I'd never met him. I've seen his work, and you can Google Eric Samuel Tim. He's, a, he's an amazing painter. And I saw him for the first time live. First time live. And Eric is painting away, and I'm in the crowd, and I'm thinking, this is terrible. I don't get, I don't get the hype. And it's just strokes, and it's a mess. And, I, you know, and I'm like, okay, I can do that. And then after about 15 or 20 minutes, the music is playing, right, as he paints, he comes up and he talks about things in your life that just don't make sense. And he turns to this painting and he takes this canvas about as big as that screen and, and they spin this canvas upside right and you realize he had been painting upside down the entire time. And now I'm looking at him going, oh, you're the man. Okay, I knew it, I knew it. trust the artist. Do you know what the magnus opus is? Have you ever heard of a magnus opus? The magnus opus is the greatest, the magnificent operation work magnus opus of the artist. 
Corbin writes music. I'm sure Corbin has written lines and thrown it away into the corner and written another line and thrown it away in the corner because it didn't make sense. But then after time, every artist in the room and every poet in the room, every musician in the room realizes I couldn't do that scale at first, but now I can. It becomes, after time, your greatest work. Hear me, you're judging God's work way too early. If I have to serve a God who's put me in the situation I'm in now, it's not worth serving. That's what you're saying right now. It's not fair. It's injustice. No. He's not done. He's not done. Jane looked at me the night before she passed into a coma. We had never had end-of-life discussions. We never talked about end-of-life because I, I know my makeup and I didn't want to go there. I wanted to believe and have no excuses. And on the night before she went into a coma, the family came in and Jane spoke to the kids and told me what every kid needed. The kids left and she could barely speak. And she said to me, raise the level of youth ministry in America. Because she knew my purpose. I'm 55 years old. I shouldn't be doing youth ministry. But when your wife says to you, her dying words, you do it. Do you understand what Job and what Paul and what I went through has a higher purpose than our own words. The last chapter of Job 42 simply leaves us one verse. I want to read this to you. Job 42. If you want to see the Magnus Opus, you have to get to the end. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do anything and that no purpose of yours can be stopped. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but we're here to help. And I realize that maybe for some of you, you're thinking, man, a, a prayer isn't going to help. Yes, it will. It may be the first step of shifting in your mind. Listen, sometimes unlearning is more important than learning. I want all the leaders to come, pastors, elders, deacon, staff. I want you to come and just stand across the front, all the way across, like it's spread out all the way to the wall. Okay, all the way to the wall. Spouses, would you come too? Trust me, we're gonna need, uh, I know, I, I can't see, the, that's good. I, I can't even see the time, so that's good. I know you might have to get kids, and if you want to, go get them and bring them back in. This is our, our dismissal is going to be our dismissal for prayer. Hear me. I know, I know, I know that everyone in here has an issue. All I'm going to ask this morning is that you come for a word of prayer. You let somebody 
you let somebody just pray for you. We're not, they're not going to take minutes. Trust me. Those of you that have come, you're not going to have minutes. You're going to have to be able to pray a 30-second or, or a minute prayer, and that's it, and move on to the next person. And once you come and someone prays for you, I want you to, we're going to turn this place into a prayer room. This is our dismissal, okay? I'm going to turn this place into a prayer room. So in just a moment, they're going to sing. I'm going to ask you to come forward so we can pray for you. And then when you're done, if you want to just move to the side or go back to your chair or get on your knees somewhere and pray. Hear me, hear me. Because you stood doesn't mean the service is over. I was raised in this, okay? And you might have gathered your stuff and thought, dude, he's on time. We're not finished. Now, no, hold it. You could be finished if you want. You could leave if you want. You could walk into this building with what you had and then walk back out with what you got. You can do that. It's true. Listen, Mr. Cool, Miss Glam, teenagers, mom and dad, it's your choice. But I'm telling you, if you will stay, if you will take a step this morning, God will meet you. He can meet me right where I'm at. Well, then do it there. But don't turn around and walk out of this place. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is not a dismissal to the streets. This is a dismissal for prayer to the altars in just a moment, okay? God, please help us right now. We've put our hand and our issue and our problem right in front of our face. I need help. I can't do this alone. I can't do this alone. I can't do this alone. yourself. He hasn't left you. You just have to see him in it. Listen, if you, if you would like a prayer, if you like a prayer, I want you to come right now. Come on. Come on, just step out. Just step out right now. It, it doesn't matter what it is. If you need healing in your body, I believe that the Lord can heal you. If you need prayer for your children, right, who are gone astray. Come, come on. Come on. My eyes are not open. I'm not falling prey to that, but I know many of you are not coming yet. I know that. I know it in my spirit. I know it. Listen, drop the pride. I know you're thinking if I come, people are going to think I have a problem. Listen, if you stay there, people think you have a problem, okay? It doesn't matter. Come on. Just come for help. Just a prayer. And then turn this place into a prayer. Come on, step out. Step out. But just let somebody who's next to you, just let them walk. And, and, and let them walk forward. Come on. Yes. Yes. Come on. You've got to do something different or you're going to keep getting what you have.
Listen, I want to I want to ask you, I want to ask you to do something. If you know of somebody who's going through a difficulty in this room and they haven't moved, will you go over to them right now? Now, I know I just made it uncomfortable in the room. But that's what I'm about, okay? Because I love you so much, I don't want you to leave here without getting ministry. If you are a spiritually mature person in this room and you know somebody's going through it, will you just go over and put your hand on them right now? Come on. And, and sir or ma'am or a young person, if that's you and they're coming to you, don't get mad at them, get mad at me, okay? I can handle it. I really don't care. Don't get mad at them. Come on, move and minister to each other right now. Will you do that? I know, listen, I've heard the testimonies and the stories of people who don't move and somebody comes to them and God met them in that moment. Right? The woman in the crowd. I know God did not always bring people to the front and we do that in church. I get that. So let us come to you. Let us come to you. Will you just listen to somebody? Listen to the Spirit and see if you need to go to somebody and minister to them. Will you do that? Come on. Come on, pray for those that have come. Let's not just be spectators, right? Let's not just be fans. Come on, pray for it. If you extend your hand around the room, right? Listen, in America, we, get, we pay the pastor or the guest to do the ministry and we watch. Don't do that right now. Please don't do that right now. That's not, minis that's not how ministry goes. We have to unlearn things. You are ministers. You pay pastor and myself to get you to, get you to do the work of the ministry. You understand that? It's not Pastor John's responsibility to visit the people in the hospital. It's our responsibility to minister to people, right? So come on, minister to each other right now. Just pray for you. Put your hand on the person next to you right now. And just pray for them. You never know what they're carrying. And may, all of a sudden, maybe the, they'll become broken. Right? Come on, spread the love right now. Spread the love right now. because of time so many men have come to me and said I want the relationship that you had with your wife I can't I just did a men's retreat in Iowa hundreds of men and I can't tell you the line of men throughout that weekend that came to me and said I have to go home and talk to my wife I'm not indicting anyone here listen men we're selfish we love conditionally and our wives love unconditionally even the best of us. But I want you, if you're with your spouse right now, to take their hand or put your arm around them right now. This is a word from the Lord. I know it because I wasn't going to go there and this gentleman just gave me this word. Put your arm around your spouse or if, if, you, if, if you are engaged or whatever, take the hand of the person that you're married to or engaged to right now. Spirit of God, forgiveness, forgiveness. 
forgiveness. Just forgive each other right now in your own mind. Just say, I forgive you, I forgive you. It's silly. Why hang on to it? Why live in the past? It's silly. Don't leave, don't leave anything unsaid. Listen, I was not the perfect husband. I was not the perfect husband. But my wife left me a note in the last week that she, and I still have it on my phone, and I have it at my bedside today, and I read it every morning when I get up, when I'm home. And it says, sweetheart, thank you for loving me unconditionally. You're the best husband in the world. X-O-X-O-X-O. Every wife understands, every husband understands what I just said. When your wife tells you that you love, that you loved her unconditionally, it makes your, it makes your lifetime. She knew exactly what to say. And I'm telling you, God could refresh marriages right now. To, I don't, 